Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Political Science. My name is Heath Brown. Today I talked with uh, the author of Gun Crusaders, the NRA's Culture War. The author is Scott Melzer. I hope that you enjoy this conversation I had with him. Welcome, Scott Melzer, to New Books in Political Science. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Great, Scott. It was a real pleasure to read your book, Gun Crusaders, the NRA's Culture War, and I look forward to talking to you today. Before we get to the actual book, maybe you can just uh, tell us a little bit more about your academic background and uh, where you're at now and sort of the bigger picture of what you what you did before writing the book. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I'm a sociologist. Uh, I was trained primarily in uh, gender and social psychology, uh, and, and I guess my specific interests would be men and masculinities and intimate violence. Uh, this project moved me uh, more into social movements, obviously, and uh, the, uh, the connections between political science and sociology. I am currently uh, associate professor of sociology and chair of the Department of Anthropology and Sociology at Albion College, which is a liberal arts college, a liberal arts college in South Central Michigan, and. Uh, I, again, do work in, uh, in men and masculinities and teach courses in gender and social psychology and criminology. Great, great. And, and that, that, that background, I think, is one of the things um, that you bring to this book. There have been a number of uh, books written about um, this issue of gun policy, um, but this, this background in sociology that you bring, I think, it's, makes a real um, interesting take on, on some of these, these issues. So let's get to talking a little bit about the book. You, you start out by describing an experience at a National Rifle Association conference. I wonder if you could recount that experience and, and how it fit within the, the research that you were doing for the book. Yeah, absolutely. I, I attended a couple of the NRA's annual meetings, which are uh, these really impressive gatherings of oh, between 40 and I think upwards of 60 or 70,000 people in, in some of the more recent years. Um, so the NRA rotates these annual meetings around the country each year. I attended one in Reno, Cal- uh, Reno Nevada, excuse me, and, and then in Orlando, Florida the, the following year. Um, and it's this uh, enormous conference. Uh, it's a kind of celebration of of guns and gun rights, so there's a gun show there that that draws in a lot of members and others uh, to look at the, the latest and greatest in guns and gear. Uh, but the the thrust of the organization, and I would argue the annual meeting itself, is uh, essentially political. It is about you know the NRA's charge of defending uh, the right to keep and bear arms. And so you know, let, let's talk about the NRA itself. Um, the the NRA that that we all know and. Some love and some don't love, but today is, is not the organization that it was in the past, and certainly not the organization that it was at its founding. So, and and without understanding that, I think it's hard to really make sense of what they are today. And so, you know, briefly, how would you characterize the change, and and where did they start, and where do they where does that leave them today, starting um, 
you know, with the, the founding of the organization? Sure. You know, briefly, the NRA was founded uh, in 1871. It was a sort of quasi-military organization. Uh, you know, to, to oversimplify things, think about uh, uh, technological developments in firearms, thinking of the musket in the, in the past, you know, a, a ball which required, you know, no aim essentially uh, to the development of rifles and the, the need uh, to train uh, marksmen essentially uh, for military service. Uh, and eventually, you know, to sort of fast forward, so, so the NRA had some connections to the government and, and uh, Congress and, and, and presidents uh, enacted legislation to support the organization and, and improving uh, uh, American soldiers' uh, accuracy early on in its history. To, to fast forward, I guess, a little bit, it kind of, you know, floundered for a while. Uh, after World War II, you had this uh, enormous influx of interest and in, hunting and shooting, right? You had returning soldiers coming back from the war who'd been using firearms. And so the NRA took on more of that kind of an identity um, in the 1940s and, and 50s of uh, catering to these new hunters and sports shooters. And then the 1960s hit, um, and, and the central uh, series of events, I guess you'd call them, that transformed the organizations, the organization were the political assassinations. Um, so, uh, so uh, Martin Luther King, uh, John F. Kennedy Jr., and, and later RFK. Uh, and, and those assassinations led to a, a, converse, a conversation, a, you know, a national dialogue about the role of guns and whether there should be gun control. Um, so that sparked legislative action by Congress. It sparked some early gun control uh, activism and organizing. And eventually it led to a splintering within the NRA. So there was a kind of old guard that really wanted to maintain their identity as just kind of hunters and sport shooters. And there were some more uh, politically focused uh, leaders and members of the organization who thought, you know what, we're about to lose gun rights if we don't take action. We're the only organization that can, can defend these rights. And so this splintering essentially led to a coup within the organization at an annual meeting um, where those kind of hardline folks took over the organization and uh, it started becoming more politicized and more focused on uh, gun rights and, and a little bit less focused on those other issues. Now the NRA still serves hunters and sports shooters, but I would certainly argue it's much more of a political organization now. Um, and, and from the late 1990s, you know, up through today, especially the 1990s, early 2000s, as the NRA um, engaged with Bill Clinton and some other leading Democrats, uh, I, I think it really uh, uh, transformed the organization even further into a kind of conservative social movement organization where it became explicitly aligned with other conservative issues and, and created that kind of identity, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. Yeah, and actually that was what I wanted to talk about. In Chapter 5, you make an argument about gun policy and, and, and gun rights, and their links to other sets of rights and other policy domains. So how, for instance, did the NRA uh, members that you interviewed feel about issues like Social Security and foreign aid or education? What is the sort of the, the broader ideological or, or policy views of, of, your, of the NRA members that you interacted with? Sure, you know, with the, with the caveat that I did focus on the more committed members for the most part since I recruited many of them from the annual meeting, um, still, you know, I, I spoke with a range of members, and uh, ideologically, you know, politically, they absolutely lean to the right, from, from the far right to sort of central moderate, um, I would say there's, you know, there's a couple 
kind of union uh, labor Democrats that were conservative on social issues, but um, aligned with Democrats uh, in terms of labor and economically. Other than that, for the most part, everyone swung further to the right. And, you know, the, the overall kind of philosophy, I guess, of the organization is, um, is, is a kind of, you know, libertarian sort of Tea Party orientation of, you know, less government is better. Um, and for the NRA, the, the central issue, obviously, is the issue of gun rights. And so they feel as if gun control and uh, so expansion of, you know, social welfare state and uh, Obamacare, those are all um, uh, examples of uh, government creeping into our lives. And uh, the NRA argues, and its members uh, almost to a person argue, uh, that that's a, a, an invasion on their individual rights, an encroachment on their individual rights and freedoms, and they're going to fight against that. Yeah, and you 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 go so far as to develop a typology of sorts in part three of the book, um, a, a typology of, of NRA members. So I wonder if you can describe a little bit about w the method you use to develop this typology, and, and then second, uh, what is the use of that typology, te uh, tell us about the types of members of the NRA. You've sort of b briefly alluded to this, but you did this in sort of a, a very academic way in the book. Yes, yeah, so, um, so so I determined uh, this typology I began with their uh, level of commitment to the organization. So essentially I identified, you know, uh, who was the most committed um, and, and, and then folks who were less committed from there. And and I ended up identifying three groups. Uh, the first group I call the critical mass, and you know that's a, a term from the social movement literature. And, and essentially, I think we'll see this with most movements and social movement organizations. You know, there are a sort of hardcore base that um, that drives the, the organization economically and energy-wise. Um, and then the second group I call the reserves. They're fairly committed to the organization. They're not as deeply committed, whereas the critical mass were oftentimes single-issue voters. You know, they cast their ballots based on uh, gun rights and gun control issues. The reserves were a little bit less committed uh, in, in that sense, as well as kind of economically supporting the organization, um, uh, volunteering for the organization, uh, serving, you know, as an NRA rep or, or a trainer for some of their um, shooting courses. And then... I didn't really tap much into the third group, but I suspect they're a, a pretty substantial number just because of the, the overall membership uh, of the organization, which best guesses are around 4 million. So uh, I would say there's a, there's a, a third group of folks who are not terribly committed at all, but um, are members for reasons of sort of having to be if you're involved in the shooting sports or just sort of like mildly supportive of the organization but don't have a great knowledge of how, what their politics are exactly, so they support gun rights in general. So, yeah. so you know, I began with political, excuse me, with commitment to the organization, um, but what I, what I quickly identified as I created this topology that emerged was those folks who are the most committed are also uh, far and away the most politically conservative. Um, so in terms of their, you know, socio-political views, uh, they're uh, much less compromising in terms of gun control legislation, whereas the reserves might be okay with some forms of gun control, those critical mass, except none at all, because, you know, they, they, they hold the same views that the organization holds, which is the slippery slope perspective. If you allow any gun control at all, it's eventually going to lead to gun confiscation. Uh, so the loss of all gun rights, and and for those members and for the NRA, the loss of gun rights means the loss of all rights and freedoms. You know that's that's the 
a proverbial line in the sand that can't be crossed in their minds. Right. Now, you described some of your, your own background as, as um, studying issues of masculinity and, and uh, I believe you said gender studies. I wonder, do, do women have a home in the NRA and were you able to either interview or, or make sense of, of the, the role or position of women in the organization? I know that we don't really know um, outright numbers of, of, mem- of members by, by gender, but where do women fit in this organization? Uh, you know, it's a really good question, and it, it, in some ways it is difficult to access. If you look sort of anecdotally, you know, the NRA has had uh, um, women presidents, a couple women presidents in their, in their history the last 20 years. Uh, there are certainly uh, NRA women in positions of leadership. I interviewed a number of NRA women as part of the NRA members as, uh, who are women as part of my project. Um, looking at the members, uh, I think... I think they tend to be, uh, you know, more likely in that less committed, that reserve group that's a little bit less uh, uh, uncompromisingly devoted to gun rights and kind of conservative politics. But but otherwise, they look, you know, more or less like the men members do. Um, you know, overall rates, I think they're fairly low. If you look, you know, the NRA as well as the gun industry um, for for quite some time tried to generate a lot more women members and gun owners because the the market for men was saturated essentially uh there were no more men to sell guns to uh or or to recruit uh, as NRA members so they pursued women uh you know my my sort of a uh, couple of experiences at the NRA meetings I went to a a couple sessions that were focused on women they were uh not well attended compared to many other sessions I went to and uh and not not well supported institutionally, kind of from the anecdotal evidence. So, uh, yeah, you know, I would I would say they don't think about it much, and just sort of by default, given the the issues and given the uh, kind of gendered interest in firearms, that um, women don't play a central role in the organization. Yeah, and you know, I was in in reading this, and I've read a couple of the other um, gun rights books, including the Spitzer book that that um, you know you you, you uh, reference in the book and. A lot of it is uh, research that's that's done by political scientists, and your background brings something different to this. I wonder, in the writing of the book, if if you were thinking about um, what your what your background in sociology brought to the subject that might change our understanding of the issue. I mean, do you have a sense of what someone can learn from this book? What a political scientist could learn from this book? they might not get out of a book that's written by another political scientist? Sure, and, and that's, you know, certainly was one of my motivations uh, to do this research and write this book. A sociologist had, to a great extent, really ignored the NRA, which is stunning given how uh, influential the organization has been for a long time. Um, you know, I think, uh, particularly as a gender sociologist, uh, what I try to contribute to our understanding of this organization, which perhaps might be a little bit unique, you know, are, uh, you know, its connections to, to masculinity, uh, besides the sort of, you know, cliche of, uh, you know, guns as, as stand-ins for, for penises, uh, you know, I think it goes beyond, I think, I think the politics of the organization are a particular conservative masculinity politics, you know, this idea that, uh, that, that, that gun rights protect all individual rights and freedoms. Well, I think if we think about that idea, it's essentially a kind of masculine idea, right? It's about independence and autonomy, um, 
you pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. Uh, you don't need the government to assist you when it comes to uh, gun violence. You don't need the police. You're going to buy a gun and protect yourself when it comes to your uh, well-being. You don't need government assistance. You're going to be able to find work and support your family, um, so forth and so on. And I, I think that those ideas of independence and autonomy and self-reliance those are very much wrapped up with masculinity and a particular kind of frontier masculinity that speaks to our country's, um, in some way, history, in some ways, uh, kind of mythology. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that actually is sort of just occurring to me is, you know, if you, th you think about um, where we are in, in history and, at, you know, at the tail end of one war and nearing the end of a second, and these being long wars with uh, perhaps not the level of, of service of, of previous wars, but we have lots of returned veterans who would, I would just have to assume, be, be um, targeted by the NRA for membership. Yet part of their seminal experience has been service in government, which, which I wonder how that, that, would, that fits with this uh, set of beliefs that you describe of this frontier frontier belief system uh, that, that's so libertarian in spirit and, and autonomous. Um, have you thought at all about sort of what the NRA is moving forward in the changing demographics and, and related to other trends in our society? Yeah, and, and you know, yeah, to your point, uh, you know, I think uh, libertarians in general and the NRA in particular would identify, you know, the, the primary role for government, if not maybe the sole role for, for according to some of them, would be um, issues of, you know, national defense. So that's where um, government serves its purpose. In, in terms of the uh, the, the future uh, demographically for our country, I think the NRA is is facing some challenges. Um, if you look at their base of support, and if you look at likewise for the gun industry, um, their their market that market is shrinking. Uh, there are uh, fewer um, conservative white men living in rural areas, uh, those, are the, those are the folks most likely to be gun owners, and those are the folks most likely to be NRA members. So proportionately, they're shrinking. Uh, we have to keep in mind we're a really large country, and their numbers aren't going to shrink to such an extent where I think the NRA is about to lose power, you know, quite the opposite. Uh, it essentially <laughs> has no competition at this point from the other side. And, and, you know, as, as we sort of start to, to wrap up and, again, put ourselves in this sort of where we are right now, um, you know, we, we just had an election where, where gun policy and gun control and gun rights were largely absent from at least the national debate. Um, I wonder what you make of the, the two candidates being so silent on the issue. You know, where, where has this issue gone? And if it's not present in, in this, this 2012 cycle, where is it? Has it moved to the state level exclusively, or is it is it just not something that the national level, the two major parties are are interested in confronting? Do you have you have you thought at all about this this current election and and what it means for gun policy? Absolutely, and uh, you know I think before the election, you know there were a couple of uh, uh, of uh, uh, major shootings in our society in Aurora uh, in Wisconsin. Um, and neither of those generated any legislative action uh, in Congress or really much comment at all. Um, and so I think that speaks to uh, where the gun debate stands right now. Essentially, uh, the NRA has won that debate at the federal level. And by that, I mean 
although Democrats historically have been much more likely to uh, to support gun control, I think they've discovered that it's a losing issue. They're just, you know, there, there's a, a deeply committed base of support for gun rights in our society because, uh, again, if you think about it, defending guns equals defending freedom for these folks. So a lot of a lot of conservatives will be drawn to that idea. But the reverse isn't the case. You know, many of us may be opposed to gun violence, but even if you support gun control, you're unlikely to be as committed to that issue. And so what we see is there there arguably isn't even a gun control movement. There are gun control organizations, but I'm not sure they qualify as a movement. And so there isn't that pressure on politicians to take that position. And Bill Clinton and others have argued essentially uh, it's a losing issue, that Democrats cannot run on gun control and so they just stopped talking about it. Uh, President Obama, you know, chief among them, I think, you know, he's outlined and supported positions, but you've seen him take no action. Uh, and I think uh, politically, that's probably a wise move for for his reelection and for Democrats in general. So uh, I think it, I think most of the debate has moved to the state level because of that. And even at that level, you know, the NRA is mostly winning because um, it's not running unopposed, but the Brady campaign and other gun control groups just uh, don't have the resources or base of support to compete with the NRA. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I would tend to agree on that. Um, so this is, book is written and been published. What's your current project? Um, are you still working on policy issues, or have you shifted to other research pursuits? Yeah, you know, I, I entered this project again through that lens of men and masculinities. For, for many years, my interests have revolved around how men respond when their status and identities are threatened. I did some early work on uh, men's violence against women partners. Uh, there was uh, the book on the NRA, which, again, I argue a lot of these members are responding to their status and identities being threatened, uh, not just via gun rights, but other kinds of changes in our society. Uh, and, and now I'm trying to kind of cap off, I guess, that uh, that line of research I've been working on for a while. So I'm, I am writing another book manuscript that looks at uh, what men are expected to be and do and, and, and how do they respond when they're unable to live up to those expectations. And my focus there is uh, actually decidedly apolitical. I'm looking at men's uh, employment situations, unemployed men, stay-at-home dads, and, and uh, men's kind of physical selves, their embodied masculinity. Oh, interesting. And before we literally finish up, uh, I had uh, uh, inquired a little bit about uh, we're getting towards the end of the year and, and we're reaching the end of a, a year of new books. I wonder if there's been anything that you've uh, read, either in political science or sociology or one of the related fields, that uh, really struck you as an important book of 2012. I wish I had a great answer for you, but because I've, I've wandered off in other directions, uh, the works I've enjoyed have also been, I guess, decidedly apolitical, so uh, I'm afraid I, I, I haven't located anything for you. Well, then let me take the opportunity to uh, endorse your book, uh, Gun Crusades, uh, the NRA's Culture War, which is published by NYU Press, available, I'm sure, at the NYU Press website. Um, I think it really does make a contribution and is something that political scientists could learn an awful lot from. Scott, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Heath.